0: Hey everybody, how are you today? My name is Taylor and this is Morbid Academy. I am still not in my podcast corner and it makes me so sad. Ugh. But at least this time I have my Carfus back, so I'm happy about that. For those of you who don't know, Carfus is short for Car Office and it's where I film things because, because reasons. That is literally why. Because I want to. I'm in my car fest today, so I'm happy about that. Sad that I'm not in my my podcast corner, but my birthday is on Sunday, November twenty eighth. Happy birthday to me! Woohoo! It is also Thanksgiving week, so happy Thanksgiving to all of you who celebrate Thanksgiving, and happy just a random regular day in November to everybody else in the world that doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving. And because there are still a few days left in November, you can still use code BIRTHDAY at checkout for 10% off your order at morbidacademymerch.com. That code is good until like midnight, November 30th. Yes, November, November 30th. So go head over there, check out all the merch. I did make a new shirt design for specifically for the YouTube channel called Coffee, creeps, and cake. So if go go check out all of that. But now to this week's episode. This week's story. I decided to cover a paranormal, haunting, haunted place. The Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Western sorry, in Weston, West Virginia. It's creepy as fuck there. I mean I have a feeling if the name asylum or the word asylum is in the name, it's going to be haunted as fuck because we all know that psychiatric treatments were top notch in the early 1900s and earlier, right? Yeah. So anyway, let's get started, shall we? The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum operated from 1864 to 1994. That was only 27 years ago. I was two. What? I'm not gonna get caught up on that because time. Anyway, so the asylum was built according to the Kirkbride plan, which was developed by Dr. Thomas Story Kirkbride for the quote, moral treatment of the insane. He was, his plan was moving patients from overcrowded jails where they were usually just chained to walls to a rural environment with, quote, tastefully ornamented grounds and buildings that resembled a V, so that each wing of the building could get enough sunlight and fresh air, as well as 12-foot ceilings. Again, for like ventilation, sunlight, air. Yeah, so this was so that the architecture itself had a curative effect, or as Kirkbride put it, a special apparatus for lunacy. Whatever the fuck that means. So a little bit about Dr. Kirkbride. Thomas Kirkbride was a doctor in the 1830s and did his residency at the Quaker-run Friends Asylum. Sounds like a fun place, right? In Philadelphia. There he was impressed by the, quote, moral treatment of the patients. There was a family atmosphere, no physical restraints, and it provided the patients with stimulating mental and physical activities. Which, yeah, that sounds great. And in 1933, he left to do a surgical residency at the Pennsylvania Hospital, and at both of these places, he was known for his kindness and compassion towards his patients. I know. It's shocking. A doctor who actually cares about his patients. Right? Oh my God. In 19 sorry, in 1840, have I been saying 1900s? have I been saying the 1900s this whole time? I apologize. He was a doctor in the 1830s. He left the Friends Asylum in 1833. And then in 1840, he was offered the position of superintendent of the new Pennsylvania Hospital for the Insane. I hope I covered my basis on that. So he completely immersed himself in the quote, world of the insane but it was the buildings themselves that interested him the most. He noticed aspects of the building's design that he considered ill-planned and began to design a hospital environment that would have a curative effect all on its own. In the 1850s, the growing patient population put a strain on Kirkbride's hospital, which gave him an opportunity to put his design into effect. And then the Kirkbride Plan was born. And over the next several decades, about 300 mental asylums were constructed throughout North America. Kirkbride built on the foundation of social reformer Dorothea Dix, who in 1841 visited a local jail in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and was horrified by what she saw. The patients there, the mentally ill patients there, were chained to a wall naked in cells that had no heat or ventilation. So you know it was nasty. Dorothea gained the attention of the Massachusetts State Legislature, which then authorized funds to improve the conditions that she had exposed to the public. A.K.A. Dorothea was a badass bitch. She saw what was going on and was like, this is wrong. Let's fix this. And so she traveled the world after that, Observing and exposing similar conditions of hospitals and spurring improvements of, of the treatment for the treatment of the insane. And according to the Trans Allegheny website, Dorothea had worked closely with Thomas Kirkbride, and in 1848, the first state hospital for the mentally ill was opened in New Jersey. So in 1858, the construction started on the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, located in Western Virginia at the time, making the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America. Fun fact. And possibly the second largest in the world. However, in April 1861, the Civil War broke out and in June, Virginia's secession from the Union brought all non-war related work to a halt including work on the asylum. At that point they had like the main foundation done and one part of the building. Then at the end of June on June 30th 1861 the quote most dramatic event in the history of Weston occurred. At 5 a.m., the people of Weston were awoken by the sound of soldiers marching into the town. The 7th Ohio Infantry had marched all night from Clarksburg, which was like 25 miles north of the town. And Colonel Erastus Bernard Tyler ordered his troops to go through the town and capture anyone suspected of Confederate sympathies. He then ordered his captain, Captain List, to take two soldiers to the Weston branch of the Exchange Bank of Virginia, where there were $30,000, which would be about $942,900 today, in gold had been deposited by the state government to provide wages for those working on the Trans-Allegheny Asylum. The colonel's mission was to take the gold before it could be taken to support the rebellion. The banker, Robert McClandish, lived on the second floor of the bank and heard the commotion. He met the soldiers at the front of the bank and was ordered to give over the gold, which he was kind of a badass and said, uh, hell no, this isn't your money. But he couldn't really do anything and the colonel and the captain ordered the vault open and took $27,000 in gold which is about $848,625 today. And the rest of the money I that he didn't take I guess was left due to creditors. Not really sure. But anyway, the money was then taken to Wheeling. Wheeling, I think that's how you pronounce it, where it would help to fund the new state of Virginia which became West Virginia in 1863. Colonel Tyler took over what had already been built of the asylum and its grounds and used it as Camp Tyler, establishing the town as an important military post. The completed southern wing was used as soldier barracks and the main foundation was used as a stable. Confederate raiders in 1862 and 1863 dislodged the Union troops And the asylum opened its doors in 1864, and it was renamed the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. The building at the time could house up to 250 patients, but also in 1864, a Confederate raid stole another $5,300 from the bank and all the food and clothing from the first group of patients at the asylum. The first group of patients that entered the asylum, they came in October 1864. And the first patient recorded was a housewife who had domestic trouble. Basically, the husband was like, she's not cool. Here you go. So awesome. And the first logbook used showed that patients were admitted for things like grief, congestion of the brain, whatever that means feebleness of intellect, seduction, and novel reading. So if you read books, you can't, you're insane, I guess. So men didn't, did, was that just for women? I'm wondering if that's all just for women. I have a feeling that's all just for women. It didn't say so, but I have a feeling that that is all just why women were there. I have a feeling. Patients were also admitted for laziness, religious enthusiasm menopause superstition masturbation and tuberculosis aka nothing that actually is wrong with you except for the tuberculosis part but that's not a mentally ill illness that's not a mental illness what the fuck you know it's all for for women too It didn't say so, but you know that half of that is just because, oh, you're a woman. Let's figure out a way to put you in an insane asylum. So anyway, the war ended in 1865 and the completion of the asylum was prioritized and became the primary economic resource for the town of Weston. Construction continued into 1881 with a 200-foot clock tower in 1871. The asylum was intended to be self-sufficient. It had a farm, a dairy farm, waterworks, and a cemetery. And there was a nearby coal mine that supplied fuel for heat. All of the patients' clothing, curtains, and fabrics were made in the town. And they had quality mattresses. And the land ended up being 666 acres, fun fact. You wonder why this place is haunted there's like 13 buildings by the way and on 666 acres at its prime you were asking to be haunted what also happened in 1881 was an increase in mental health diagnosis and the stigma surrounding it blew up so that caused the asylum to take on over 500 more patients so the capacity is 250 and now they have over 700 patients. Cool. Also, the farm was only designed to provide for 300 people. So it was unable to meet the increased demand of the hospital and the conditions of the hospital started to decline, obviously. And of course, as we all know, or at least if you've listened to true crime and paranormal stuff, or know about history, basically, the, quote, healing tactics of the late 1800s, early 1900s weren't good. It included bloodletting, insulin coma therapy, seclusion cells, and confinement cribs. A tuberculosis building was constructed in 1930, By 1938, the number of patients was around 1,660. Patients were running wild, the orderlies were outnumbered, and a survey reported that the hospital was also taking in patients who were epileptics, alcoholics, drug addicts, and quote, non-educational mental defectives. Again, not mentally ill. I mean, I guess you could say that drug addicts and alcoholics have a mental illness, but you know what I mean. It's not like mental asylum, but whatever. Stop digging yourself into a hole, Taylor. Okay, continuing on. By 1949, the population of patients was over 1,800. Again, this building was built to house 250 patients. So originally the Kirkbride plan was awesome and then people were like, oh no, mental illness is terrifying. Put everybody who doesn't conform to norms in the place, in the hospital. Fantastic. The conditions of the asylum were made public by articles written by the Charleston Gazette in 1949 and they showed patients would be trapped in small rooms and living in their own filth they had to use broken beds and chairs or just sleep on the ground because they didn't have enough beds there was no heating in the winter windows were covered in grime to the point that no light could even get through therapies included ice water baths seclusion cells and electric shock sorry electroshock patients were locked in cages if they were deemed uncontrollable And those cages were like out in the open so that the rooms could be used for other people. Sanitation was basically non-existent and there, again, wasn't enough furniture. But there was one wing of the asylum that had been rebuilt after it was destroyed by a fire in 1935, which was caused by a patient. And it was also not the first fire that was caused by a patient. And those funds were from the Works Progress Administration and the and that wing was, quote, comparatively luxurious. And there was also barbed wire around the yard so patients couldn't escape. Also, the asylum had become a training ground for experimental lobotomies as the famous surgeon and lobotomy advocate Walter Freeman opened up shop For the west virginia lobotomy project apparently in 1952 a doctor it didn't say what doctor or which doctor but a doctor performed 228 lobotomies in two weeks lord in heaven and i don't know how many of those were patients at the trans allegheny hospital it was just like a fun fact that they that somebody had put in the article that I was reading, but I guess a ton were done at the Trans-Allegheny Hospital. All right, there are still like three, four, four, I can do math, four days left in November. It is still my birthday month. So you, yes, you lovely listeners can still use code BIRTHDAY For 10% off your order at MorbidAcademyMerch.com. Go check out all the merch. The shirts are so comfortable. They wash wonderfully. The design does not get destroyed at all. The comfortableness of the shirt doesn't get ruined at all after washing. It's fantastic. Go check that out. Again, use code BIRTHDAY at checkout for 10% off your order at MorbidAcademyMerch.com. So in the 1950s, there were 2,400 patients at the Trans-Allegheny Asylum, 10 times the number that it was originally built for and designed for. At this point, more buildings were constructed for service units such as kitchen, dining facilities, laundry, shops, a forensic building, and storage. Fun fact, one patient was a 19-year-old woman named Geraldine who was sent to the asylum in 1956 after killing her 58-year-old lover saying, quote, he's the man I love and he was cheating on me and I wanted him not to, end quote. First of all, I see no issue with killing a man who's cheating on you. I mean, obviously there's issues with it. Obviously, I am not condoning you killing anybody, but she's badass, okay? But also, he's 58 and you're 19, honey. No. So no to that. Also, no to killing. But also, just cut off his dick. What was that one story? I can't remember her name. I believe it was in West Virginia, though. The woman who cut off her her husband's dick because he was an asshole rapist. I will cover that story because that's a badass story. Anyway, so Geraldine's a badass, I feel. Again, I don't condone murdering. Cutting off the dude's dick is another question is an is another topic. Anyway, I'm I have to cover my ass. Don't murder people, okay? That's all I'm saying. Don't murder people. That was just a fun fact of one of the patients who live there. She's not a patient though. Like she's not mentally ill. Stop digging yourself into a hole taylor continue with the story okay because of sorry (laughs) oh i am so sorry i went off on a little tangent anyway because of the overcrowding and the inability to handle the large population violence increased dramatically at this asylum one night two patients had pulled another patient from his bed and tried hanging him from the ceiling using bed sheets. But when the bed sheets didn't hold, they stuck the man under the bed with the with the leg of the bed on top of his head and then jumped up and down on the bed until it crushed his skull. I guess now they call the that specific room where that happened the bedpost murder room. Also, a nurse had disappeared and two months later her body two months two months later her body was discovered at the bottom of an unused staircase most likely murdered by patients and then left to rot ugh how how first of all how is a staircase not used in this building and second of all why did it take you two freaking months to find her ugh Several female employees were raped, many employees reported being attacked while on duty. It was bad. In 1960, a medical center, which included a morgue, was built, and in 1985, the Charleston Gazette once again exposed the asylum, saying, quote, poor appointed inspectors found the asylum to be dirty and unkempt, with many patients left naked and confined to dirty wards with bathrooms smeared with feces, end quote. So basically, the Kirkbride plan was thrown out the window like five years after the building had opened for patients. Like it was a little, it was a little more than five years. It was like twenty, but still, Kirkbride plan went out the window in 1990. The Trans Allegheny lunatic asylum was listed on the national register of historic places in 1992 the charleston gazette once again exposed the asylum for its horrendous conditions and another patient had committed suicide but his body wasn't found for eight days what the fuck the trans allegheny asylum was finally forced to close its doors in 1994 which again is crazy to think that it was only 27 years ago and until 2004 the building was vacant I guess there were a couple museums that tried to survive in 2004 there like there was like a civil war one and a mental health treatment museum but it didn't work and those closed and then in 2007 it was auctioned off for 1.5 million dollars holy shit so today the main building serves as a museum on the first floor with several rooms restored into quote period rooms from the 1870s to the 1960s One of the patients' wards has been restored, but the remaining 23 have largely been untouched. There are paintings, poems, and drawings made by patients in the art therapy rooms. There's a room dedicated to the different medical treatments and restraints that were used. And there are now guided historical and paranormal tours that you can go on. Kind of cool, and again, I want to go. I guess there are... Um, group tours, but then there are also private tours. I will link the website for Trans-Allegheny Asylum in the description box on YouTube as well as the show notes, so go check that out. But now, on to the hauntings. Stories of ghosts in the building started way before the doors even closed. You have to remember, Civil War, it was a military, it was a military camp, and an important military post in the 1860s. So employees were even said to stay only a couple days and then quit after hearing unexplained noises like a gurney being pushed down the hallway. You know, that squeaky wheel thing? Yeah, terrifying. It's also said that over 2,000 patients were buried in the cemetery when the asylum closed, it's also on 666 acres and 13 buildings you were asking to be haunted now I think the building it's only on 27 acres I believe the rest was sold off and they only kept 27 or 30 acres I can't remember so on the first floor there is a civil war wing of the museum and it said that the that the spirit of a former patient named Ruth likes to hang out there. Apparently she hates men and in her life she had a habit of throwing things at them. It wasn't clear as to this next part, but apparently a spirit, either Ruth's or somebody else's, likes to wander the halls and push people against walls and whistle. On the second floor in Ward 2, there had been a patient who had been stabbed 17 times by another patient. And two other patients committed suicide by hanging themselves on curtain rods. So on that floor, people have seen shadow figures in there and they caught an EVP saying, Get out. On the third floor in the bedpost murder room, The ghost of the murdered patient is said to hang out in that room. A ghost by the name of Big Jim has also been seen on this floor, as well as a nurse named Elizabeth. Doors close by themselves, more shadow figures are seen, and more apparitions are seen on the floor as well. On the fourth floor, there's a ghost of a little girl named Lily who likes to sit in a room that's filled with toys waiting for somebody to play with her. She wears a white dress and is said to be about nine years old. Apparently she likes to play with visitors and staff and she will move toys around or turn on the music box that's in there. I apologize if you can hear the lawnmower. Also on the fourth floor, there is a ghost of a soldier called Jacob who likes to stroll the hallways. And there's something that's called the creeper that crawls across the floor. Fantastic. Um, Other things that happen in the asylum are unexplained noises and sounds are heard. Screams can be heard coming from the electroshock therapy room. Fantastic. Banging, slamming doors, moans, ominous breathing, and hysterical laughter can be heard from empty rooms. In the kitchen, people have felt like they're being watched as well as feeling a sense of dread. A security guard has said that one night when he was walking by the kitchen, he felt like he was being watched, felt a sense of dread, and saw a gray figure standing there. The ghost of a woman named Jane is seen in her bedroom. On Travel Channel's Porters portals to hell, they used a REM pod which beeps and lights up as a way for the spirits to communicate. And in the bedpost murder room, they asked... Dean, if you're here, we need to know if this is you. Dean, I believe, was the patient who was murdered. And then the REM pod immediately lit up and beeped. Katrina, who is one of the investigators, brought in a mask that one of the killers had actually made and put it close to the REM pod and it immediately stopped beeping. She said, does this scare you? Nothing happened. She took it away and said is this better and it started beeping again on ghost hunters they caught an image of a shadow figure crouching down and then looking as if it had been pulled up by its belt a lady in victorian style dress is seen walking the halls during a festival that was held there a couple workers were up on the second floor and ran into someone and when they asked what he was doing there he said i'm looking for a way out of here and then walked away and disappeared on the show paranormal lockdown starring nick from ghost adventures and katrina if you don't know what that show is it's really good nick and katrina and the cameraman rob spend three full days in haunted places and trans allegheny is one of them um there they experienced chills and anxiety. Katrina said at one point that it Nick was experiencing so much anxiety that it actually scared her. Nick said he saw a dark figure of a man and I actually talked about this in another episode but I completely forgotten where I saw it and I can't remember what episode it was. The, crawl, the crawling figure. If you remember that here it is. Rob, the camera guy is filming Nick and Katrina who are looking at him and behind them at the end of the hall, you can just barely see something crawling across the floor from one door to the next. It's so fucking creepy. You can just barely see it. If you want to see it, I will link the video in the description box and show notes timestamps I will let you know like where watch the whole video the video specifically that I'm talking about is like seven minutes long so watch the whole video but it starts around 1 minute 24 seconds when Rob starts to be like oh my god what the fuck is that he doesn't actually say that but and then when they look back on it and replay it that timestamp is at 3 minutes 27 seconds they caught the creeper. The creeper that I was talking about, they caught it. They caught it. It's fucking creepy, oh my God. Make sure the brightness is turned up on your laptop or your phone, wherever you're watching it, because it is very hard to see, but you can just make out. It's almost like, it's like a fog almost that you can see crawling. It's, oh, it's so scary. It. When I first saw that, oh my God, I almost peed my pants. But more stuff happens there. So like I said, they spend a full three days there and each of them will spend the night in different places. Nick at one time spends the night in one hallway. Literally his cot is in the middle of the frickin' hallway and he starts hearing bangs come from behind him. Katrina sleeps in the morgue, fun, and she actually sleeps like in the actual morgue You know, like the slots where you put the bodies in. Yeah, she sleeps in one of those. And she asks if you're here, knock on here. And she knocks to give an example. And then from inside where she is, you hear little taps. It's amazing. In this episode, they use something called a geo box, which is similar to a spirit box, but it uses a different type of frequency, I guess. I don't know how to explain it. You'll have to watch the episode. I believe they use it on Ghost Adventures as well. It sounds more echoey and kind of underwater. I don't know. I'm bad at explaining things. So they use a geobox and they hear a woman saying hello. And then right after that, a man's voice is heard saying, don't say a word. And then I'm telling you. Katrina says, if you say my name, I'll leave. And then the geobox says Katrina. And in one room, Katrina feels a hand up on her back. And then when she says, what was that? Nick instantly feels the hand under his shirt on his back. So fucking creepy. If you can find the episode, go watch it. Paranormal Lockdown. It was so good. It didn't last that long, but it was good. Really good. But that, my friends is the story of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston, West Virginia. I hope you enjoyed it. Ooh, it's creepy. Yes, I want to go, but I'm so scared. I'm just going to pee my pants if I go. Let me know what you think. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, comments are always welcome. And thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review wherever you do the thing. You can find Morbid Academy on all your favorite podcasting apps with new episodes out on fridays and the videos out on saturdays on youtube at coffee creeps and cake if you would like to get the episodes early bonus content first looks please consider donating at patreon.com morbid academy if you would like to make a one-time donation of your choosing. You don't have to be a member or anything. You can do that over at buymeacoffee.com slash Academy. Don't forget to check out the merch at morbidacademymerch.com and use code birthday at checkout for 10% off your order. Again, you can only use that until the end of November. So get on it. You can follow along on Instagram and Facebook at Morbid Academy, And if you have a creepy, messed up, morbid, paranormal, true crime, whatever story. If you have a topic you would like me to cover on future episodes, please hit me up at morbidacademy at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you keep it creepy, friends. Bye-bye.